I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics and coming to you live with my co-host, Matt Bernico. <laughs> who's, I'm here. Whose introduction I've already stolen. Uh, it's me, <laughs> your other co-host, Dean Detloff. Matt, uh, you're here in Toronto. Yep. What What's it like for you right now? Uh, it feels like, like I'm free for the first time, free from the yoke of oppression of the United States. <laughs> uh, we're sitting on Dean's floor recording this, and uh, man, never felt better to be in a truly free country like Canada. It's free, except for all the stuff you have to pay for. It's been really expensive. <laughs> I did. I bought a $15 sandwich earlier, and it was very good, but it was it could have been freer, is what I'm trying to say. It was a Cuban sandwich, though. And uh, yeah. what more What more do you want here in this multicultural city? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. That's it. <laughs> uh, it's been a pretty big food week already, actually. We've had Indian food. We've had special roasted coffee. We've had a different roasted coffee in the same day. We've had a Cuban sandwich, and it's only been two days. <laughs> I need to slow down. <laughs> I need to eat a medicinal salad. <laughs> uh, guess what, though? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about Toronto. We're ta- not talking about its food. Instead... We're talking about something everybody loves, <laughs> and I mean everybody, degrowth, a thing universally loved by all, not criticized by anyone, uh, something that won't make anyone on the internet ever upset. That's right, folks. You might have heard us talk about it before, but we're back again to talk about degrowth because we just, we're really interested in it. I think there's something cool about degrowth that uh, people are missing. If, you're, <laughs> if they are missing it, they're missing it. So stop missing it and get on board. So here's the deal. The world is a very big place, but it's not an infinite place, which is a particular problem for capitalism. Uh, this probably comes to no surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, but at the heart of capitalism is a logic that puts accumulation and economic growth before everything else, every all of it. Nothing else matters but those two things. So because we don't live in an infinite world, infinite growth is impossible. And uh, not only is it impossible, you probably don't want it. It's an existential threat that is currently fueling climate change. You stop growing things, degrow them is, is my message here. One framework, though, that people use to think about a future where growth is not the core logic is called degrowth. There's a lot of discourse around that phrase, and you can definitely go listen to some of our other episodes about this to find out more about that. Uh, but when we're talking about degrowth on this podcast, what we're talking about is a rearrangement of society that puts ecology and humans above the profits of corporations and billionaires. So in practice, that means producing and consuming less things and producing them in a way that's like better for people, that's uh, less exploitative, right? Even if you make solar panels and people are being exploited, that's bad. <laughs> so um, trying to get around all of that in, in a way that makes sense uh, with regards to human dignity, but also for the like the good of uh, ecology in general. Another phrase that we've used in the past to kind of parse this out is living more simply so others can simply live. Some people frame degrowth wrongly as austerity. It's not that, but it is definitely consuming and producing less. Um, that doesn't seem austere to me. That just seems like a good idea. All that being said, the left in North America has been sort of slow to pick up on this particular framework. Um, you know, not all of them, for sure. Definitely, there are people who are into this in the United States. Um, but it's not like the talking point that it is in other places, like in Latin America or like in Europe even. Because of some really interesting predispositions that Catholic social teaching has, um, they're kind of ahead of the curve on this whole thing, which I think is really fascinating. Um, I think even the Catholic social movement in North America is kind of ahead of the curve on this. Uh, they're out in front of the left, 
and Wolf needs to catch up. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's funny because on the show we talk a lot about like you know how much leftist ideas can help uh, people of faith organize for a better world and like you know think more deeply about what their faith means or whatever. But in this case, uh, Catholics. They're, they've got it already. They already know what's going on. I mean, not all of them, but like I said, Catholic social movements, they figured it out. <laughs> so in this episode, we're going to talk about that particular dynamic a little bit more. Like, why is it that Catholic social teaching has an easier time with degrowth than other leftist movements? And how these two seemingly disparate ways of thinking actually fit together pretty well. Um, so The standard Magnificast Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> that's right. We're putting them together, this great peanut butter and chocolate thing. Dean, as a as a Catholic expert on Catholicism, what's going on here, do you think? Yep. As a resident Catholic on this podcast, uh, I think there's a lot to say about it. First things first, I think that you can make a pretty strong case, and I'm going to try to make it on this show, that Catholic social teaching, the way that the official tradition, even from the magisterium, has tried to think about development and things like that, is kind of already a degrowth paradigm, although it doesn't use that term. So we'll talk more about that. But ever since like the late 60s, for sure, and ever since Vatican II, the church has had a particular idea about development that is still developing itself. But I think there's kind of a unique body of literature there that isn't present in the same way in other traditions or on the left either. Um, You know, not to say that Catholicism has a monopoly on it. It definitely does not. And uh, other church traditions have, I think, even like outpaced Catholicism on some of these ideas, like on development and decolonizing development, right? There are uh, some Protestants who are out there doing a great job, but Catholicism is that unique tradition that does have a pope who says a lot of stuff that you have to take seriously or not. I guess you don't have to, <laughs> but I'm compelled to. Uh, and in fact, it is so potent that the organization I work for, Development and Peace, is a, a product of popes talking about development. So I think that's a unique piece, at least, to the Catholic Church. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when the Pope says something that I agree with, I also agree with it. That's great. (laughs) Exactly. So, all right. Maybe to get us going here, we might as well start with a little bit of context table setting. So Vatican II, it was a big shift. It was an attempt for the Catholic Church to think through its place in the modern world. And Pope Paul VI, the guy who brought that uh, council to completion and continued to think about it, He wrote a bunch of stuff, some encyclicals, some pretty good labor stuff, um, you know, things that will make leftists equal parts uh, interested and angry, depending, (laughs) you know, lots of complicated things going on there. Uh, But that's a big piece of this. I think there's two others. Um, The Global South, uh, Catholicism there had really found a, a voice in the development conversation in the 20th century. And lastly, international solidarity movements um, like Development and Peace, but lots of others had really blossomed in the 20th century too. You know, we did an episode on development a little while back, so you can kind of maybe track these trends there. But getting us into the degrowth bit, I just want to start out with a a pretty interesting quote from Popularum Progressio, an encyclical Pope Paul VI wrote in 1967. Um, It's like sometimes called the development encyclical. And he said, development cannot be limited to mere economic growth. We've already done it. In order to be authentic, it must be complete, integral. That is, it has to promote the good of every person and of the whole person as an eminent specialist, uh, by which he means this uh, French Dominican priest, Louis Joseph Lebre, interesting social scientist, a development economist, as he said, as he, sorry, as he has very rightly and emphatically declared, we do not believe in separating the economic from the human, nor development from the civilizations in which it exists. What we hold important is humanity, each human and each group of humans, and we even include the whole. Of humanity. So uh, there's more that we can kind of get out here, but I think that's like the beginning of the, the development manifesto of the Catholic Church, right? Uh, economic growth is not actually the key thing, and we have to think about development in a bigger, broader way. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that development episode that we did, it's not even that different than what Gustavo Gutierrez is saying, right? I mean, Gustavo Gutierrez wants to say it's liberation, and He's right. <laughs> it is that. But I mean, that's a pretty good like table setting for that conversation, I think, right? It's not even like a a hard jump from what uh, what's happening there in this like Vatican II era document to, you know, Gustavo Gutierrez. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you see even this opening to development uh, discourse at the Vatican taking more radical turns, even in Episcopal conferences like in Latin America, the bishops get really wild with it. 
So liberation theology is often kind of critically engaging this tradition. And I mean, somebody like uh, Gutierrez will quote Popular and Progressio quite a bit even to sort of shore up his point. Um, on the degrowth piece, a couple of other interesting quotes from this encyclical. Uh, Pope Paul says, increased possession is not the ultimate goal of nations nor of individuals. All growth is ambivalent, which I think is, by the way, a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> it is essential if humanity is to develop as human, but in a way it imprisons humanity if they consider it the supreme good and it restricts their vision. Then we see hearts harden and minds close and humanity no longer gather together in friendship, but out of self-interest, which soon leads to oppositions and disunity the exclusive pursuit of possessions thus becomes an obstacle to individual fulfillment and to humanity's true greatness, both for nations and for individual humans. Avarice is the most evident form of moral underdevelopment. Uh, I think this is important too. Like Matt, you said, people say degrowth is about austerity. It's really, I think, about having a bigger understanding of what humans do and what they're for. Because at the end of the day, the argument that degrowth people are making is not that like you shouldn't have anything. But it's that you shouldn't have stuff that exists purely for the sake of, you know, generating profit. Like, for example, the big story that has been in my mind a lot lately is that like Funko Pop is going to like dump all these Funko Pops that didn't sell into a big dumpster somewhere, like a huge landfill or whatever, because they can't sell them. And like what a completely irrational economy that would produce, first of all, a Funko Pop at all ever in history. And then secondly, make too many of them. And then thirdly, not be able to sell them to any anyone. And so fourthly, in conclusion, throw them in somebody's big backyard. Like that is a very weird, I, very weird thing that can only happen in a society that is obsessed with growth for its own sake. And I think Pope Paul VI is being like, we should have a bigger idea about economies. Yeah, I think so, too, because, I mean, it's such a depressing thing to think about the austerity argument because, well, okay, when people say that degrowth is about austerity, what they're talking about is, like, well, I can't buy the things that I want or whatever. But you're right. I mean, degrowth is talking about something a lot bigger than that. I mean, even the, um, Pope Paul here is talking about, you know, like, when humanity no longer gathers together in friendship or something, which is not about austerity at all. It's about, mm -hmm. like, human relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's like... I guess if what is holding you back from thinking about ecology in a more critical way is that you can't buy stuff, then you need to like maybe do some closer self-examination of your, make like, your some own friends. life. Yeah, make some friends. Get a hobby that's not like <laughs> going shopping. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. One more great quote from Pope Paul, because I think it's important to sort of focus on him. He says, it's unfortunate that on these new conditions of society, a system has been constructed which considers profit as the key motive for economic progress. Competition is the supreme law of economics, and private ownership of the means of production is an absolute right that has no limits and carries no corresponding social obligation. This unchecked liberalism leads to dictatorship rightly denounced by Pius the Eleventh as producing, quote, the international imperialism of money. Whoa. Yeah, great quote. One cannot condemn such abuses too strongly by solemnly recalling once again that the economy is at the service of humanity. And I feel like this is probably the the real degrowth passage of uh, popular and progressia, right? Um, profit is the key motive for progress. That's absurd, um, calling that into question here. There's an international imperialism of money, so there's a recognition that this is, all goes together internationally. And lastly, the economy should be at the service of human beings, which right now it super is not. And I think, like I said, that puts Catholic social teaching on a path that I think we'll see is going to culminate in uh, Pope Francis really sort of drawing out the degrowth stuff in, a, in an even stronger way, even though he doesn't call it that. Okay, so that is from 1967, and you can see that as like a, yeah, a starting point of the trajectory to, towards like Pope Francis and uh, all of his encyclicals, I think, reflect a lot of those themes that are going on there. That's like a, a good table setting piece, but I think that there maybe are like three other areas that Catholic social teaching really has something interesting to say in. And I think that in these three areas that, uh, you know, that's where we get to the the degrowth part. That's why degrowth can kind of be like attached to Catholic social teaching so specifically. So there's like moral teaching that we'll talk about in a minute, which there's a lot of Pope Francis content there. International solidarity and then like some specific economic thought that is definitely like worth consideration. It's interesting because like none of it is necessarily socialist and also none of it is necessarily degrowth, but it's like. You know, it's got some hooks in it that you can definitely connect all those things up <laughs> together uh, if you want to. And I do want to. And not only do I want to, but I think that, like, 
a lot of Catholic social movements have done that already. And like, they've kind of picked up those at least degrowth for sure. Right. And, uh, and like hooked it up to their, <laughs> their big Catholic <laughs> social teaching truck and they're pulling it all yeah. the way. <laughs> all the mechanics are hard at work for sure. Um, they got the parks on back order and now they're in. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's right though, that there's, um, there's a lot going on here. There's, there's these different moving parts. Maybe one thing we can say too, is that, okay, Catholic social teaching, it's not socialist. Except, like, when it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not socialist, except the way in which it is anti-capitalist sort of has to empty out in some kind of idiosyncratic socialism. You know, it's just like you saw with Pope Paul VI here. Um, you can't have a society where competition is the key. Um, you can't have a society where profit is the fundamental driver of, of everything else. And, like, guess what? In capitalism, that's just always going to be the case, right? So I think... Catholic social teaching is reticent to endorse communism and socialism for both good and bad reasons. Like the good reasons are that those systems have actually like wrongly penalized uh, people of faith for literally no good reason. Um, and sometimes, I mean, there are good reasons, right? Like it's complicated, but I think the church, you know, it was kind of cornered in the 20th century into being anti-communist in some specific ways. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, they're reticent to call it that uh, in some cases, maybe wrongly, right? You can see all kinds of bad anti-communist tropes. I guess what I'm saying here, though, is Catholic social teaching, it's a really idiosyncratic thing, but, like, it is explicitly anti-capitalist also, and even though it's, like, maybe nervous to say it's socialist, that doesn't mean that it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. You can hook it up to your truck, yeah. and you can pull yeah, it yeah. into the socialist that's right. city. That's right. A great metaphor that's definitely clear and coherent and there's nothing wrong with it yeah totally okay so like i said there's there are these three areas that catholic social teaching really like i think connects with degrowth so let's talk about those things so there's a lot of different places to probably start but the one that always comes to mind for me is in uh fratelli tutti which is uh i think the, is that that's, that's the most recent yeah it's my favorite flavor of encyclical fratelli tutti is a good one um <laughs> okay um <laughs> Anyways, Pope Francis in it, he is talking a lot about the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke uh, chapter 10. You might be familiar with it. If you've ever gone to Sunday school even once, I'm sure you heard about the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Pope Francis says this. He says, the parable shows us how a community can be rebuilt by men and women who identify with the vulnerability of others, who reject the creation of a society of exclusion, who act instead as neighbors lifting up and rehabilitating the fallen for the sake of the common good. So, okay, you're probably familiar with the Good Samaritan story, so I don't need to say too much about it, but basically the gist of it is that, like, there is a person who's been robbed and beaten on the side of the road, and all these people who you'd expect to stop and help them don't, but a person who you would not expect, a Samaritan, does stop and help them, and isn't that great? And it is great. I think it's a good one. Um, but Francis here is, is pulling on that to say, like, that's, like, that's the moral ethic that Christianity should be giving you, right? The, the one where you want to rebuild other people who are, you know, who've been injured, who are on the side of the road, like, left for dead. Um, you want to, like, lift them up because it's, like, good for everybody to do so. And I think there's something that really resonates with, like, the degrowth thinking there, too, because uh, degrowth is... I think we get too way down in, in the, like, locality of it. Like, you know, the, like, what does it look like for my community to be, like, uh, more, like, economically viable in, in terms of degrowth, like, where you're producing less? But whenever you're talking about production and consumption, you have to talk about people who, like, are not immediately next to you or by you, right? Like, the people who mine the essential minerals for your cell phone or whatever, they don't live in the United States, they don't live in Canada, they live in Africa or, or whatever. And uh, if you want to be like the Good Samaritan and think about the people who are like, you know, fallen left for dead, you have to think about the people who are most affected by climate change, who are most affected by the overproduction of all kinds of other goods. And they don't, you know, necessarily live right next to you. So anyways, like I said, a good place to start, like with the, the moral thinking, I think, behind Catholic social teaching and like how it does connect to degrowth or how it predispositions Catholic social teaching to like be good at grabbing on the degrowth. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about Fratelli Tutti too is Pope Francis is providing not just a reminder that the Good Samaritan parable exists, but giving it a like structural interpretation, trying to scale up like 
moral stories that you've heard uh, in Sunday school a thousand times, like you said, right? It's like the Good Samaritan is a banal story. It's like a story that if you never hear anything else in Christianity, you're going to hear that one. Um, And I think that's also maybe one thing that Catholic social teaching tries to scale up uh, when it's talking about social issues, right? It's going to bring these simple stories or whatever into a, a bigger context so Fratelli Tutti is the, the encyclical on solidarity. We'll get to Laudatio in a minute. That's the big degrowth <laughs> encyclical, if you ask me. Um, but uh, what you see in something like Fratelli Tutti is putting that real premium on, you know, trying to structurally think about how you're connected to other people in the world. And, and like you said, Matt, that is what fundamentally degrowth is trying to do. I think that's also something that's misunderstood by people on the left who get mad about degrowth. Like they think that it's fundamentally about reducing your personal consumption, as you said, uh, when it's fundamentally about trying to trace how the economy is irreducibly interconnected or um, Catholic social teaching would say is integrally connected, that it all kind of hangs together in some way. So um, good to recognize that maybe in both <laughs> Catholic social teaching and the degrowth movement. Yeah, you know, actually, I meant to ask you that before we started recording this, but I'll do it right now since we are recording <laughs> it. So the a word that comes up a lot in some of uh, Pope Francis' writing is integral ecology. Is there a specific like technical term or definition to that that is important now? Yeah, well, it's actually introduced already in Popular and Progressio, and people talk about it in other ways uh, in Catholic social teaching, but Pope Francis has leaned into the language of integral development pretty hard. In fact, he established like a whole office at the Vatican for it specifically, and they do some very interesting things, like the World Meeting of Popular Movements that we've talked about on the show is called together by that dicastery, that... Uh, office um, in the Vatican. So it's a big thing. Pope Francis is very into it. And it means kind of what it sounds like integral development, right? The idea is that development has to integrate all kinds of stuff. It has to integrate um, social life. You know, it's not just economics. It's also how we think about our relationship with the planet. So, you know, anything you think that could be integrated, man, that's all part of it, all part of development. (laughs) And uh, Laudato Si tries to spell it out, I think, in a pretty particular way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, good. The definition is out there. It's on the table now. We know it. Okay, so that's maybe like one. That's the first stop. <laughs> that's the first stop on the train of uh, moral thought in Catholic social teaching <laughs> towards degrowth. Yeah, choo choo. Um, we're not doing the truck anymore. Now we're doing the train. <laughs> <laughs> a never, a never ending revolving door of metaphors. That's the true uh, degrowth uh, development, though, right? You're uh, you're trading in the trucks. All these personal that's, that's vehicles right. for for a big train. Yeah, that's true. Um, Okay, let's talk about fertility for a second in terms of like moral thinking. We'll get it back to it a lot when we talk about economic growth and uh, some other pieces of it here. But I think there's a really interesting moral aspect to fertility to C that we could kind of get to first. So Francis, uh, he kind of calls in, he he tag teams in another great <laughs> big religious figure, uh, Patriarch Bartholomew from the uh, from the Orthodox Church. Um, and he's citing him kind of talking about uh, humanity's relation to creation, to nature, to ecology in a really particular way, right? And that uh, it's it's a sin to degrade the integrity of the earth, um, to cause changes to its climate. You shouldn't do that. It's not good. S- stop doing it, you might say. Um, but the part that I think is really interesting about this whole bit is the way that Francis draws out that there are, like, moral ethical and kind of like a spiritual root at the at the problems of like uh of climate change and i i like this way of thinking because okay we were talking about the dynamic of degrowth about it's not like an individual thing that you have to deal with it's like a sort of systemic thing but there is this like sort of underlying um at least in the way that francis talks about it an underlying thought that you have to change like who you are to kind of get to that place Mm -hmm. And I think that's there's something there, right? It's not that this is like an individual ethic, but it's like you have to kind of undergo a, a shift in paradigm to really think about why degrowth is, you know, not only is it good, but it's like desirable and you want it for everybody. Um, so anyways, Francis says this, uh, the environmental problems which require that we look for solutions, not only in technology, but in a change of humanity. Otherwise, we would be dealing merely with symptoms. Uh, Bartholomew asks us to replace consumption with sacrifice, greed with generosity, wastefulness with a spirit of sharing, and asceticism, which entails learning to give and not simply to give up. It's a way of loving, of moving gradually away from what I want to what God's world needs. 
So this is cool because it's it is really suggesting that you have to like you just have to change your whole way of thinking and your entire way of life. Um, which is, easy. I mean, it's pretty easy. I don't think it's that. Big I've of done deal. it more than once. <laughs> I do it all the time. Uh, yeah, for sure. It is a bit, it is a pretty tall order, but um, it's a it's a shift of values, right? Um, and I think that is is it's an important part of the story that this is not just all like economic calculus. That there's a real thing that like, uh, if you, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Sometimes people will talk about degrowth and they'll be like, oh, but then I can't have Amazon packages delivered to my door, and it's like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like do you want to do you want to change the world so that future people can survive or do you want to keep getting Amazon packages? Um but I think that's kind of it, right? You have to it th- there's like sort of a a a self-understanding that has to shift within this paradigm and uh I think that actually degrowth doesn't necessarily talk about that a lot, uh but Catholic social teaching does. So this is maybe like a, a, one of those places though where you can kind of see the the bridge between them where like uh, these are the changes that you would want to make in yourself uh, to see these particular changes in the world. So, you know, they make more sense uh, in terms of like what you're willing to do to get there. I think that's true. Uh, So you got to change your life to change the world. Uh, And maybe that's also a good way to talk through the second piece that you brought up, Matt, international solidarity, because changing yourself also involves bringing yourself into relationship with other people like, I think both Catholic social teaching and degrowth are not fundamentally kind of solipsistic discourses or things where it's like just about you, just your habits, your ideas, but they are trying to bring you into a bigger awareness of what's going on. And that's one thing I love about Catholicism. It has a place for the social. It's not like evangelicalism where you are trying to keep yourself as pure as possible. It's like trying to get you into the muck of it, right? And uh, solidarity is the word that the Catholic Church has put a huge kind of emphasis on, um, you know, for a long time. That's been like a part of Catholic social teaching since before the development stuff even. Um, And uh, one interesting place, though, where it gets brought into development is in Pope Paul VI's later writing called uh, Octogesima Adveniens, which is from 1971. It was basically the 80th uh, anniversary of Rerum Novarum. That's why he wrote it. Um, and it draws us out in an interesting way. Pope Paul says, Thus, it's necessary to have the courage to undertake a revision of the relationships between nations. Whether it's a question of the international division of production, the structure of exchanges, the control of profits, the monetary system without forgetting the actions of human solidarity, to question the models of growth of the rich nations and change people's outlooks so that they may realize the prior call of international duty and to renew international organizations so that they may increase in effectiveness. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, the key here, the obvious degrowth piece, I guess, is to question models of growth that rich nations have in particular. I think it's great, first of all, that a pope was saying that in 1971. Um, but important too, to recognize that like the key to that is in part changing these, these outlooks or whatever, but also strengthening international organizations, right? There's this kind of emphasis that solidarity has to, uh, cash out in terms of movements, in terms of people actually doing stuff. And that's a huge piece to Catholic social teaching and degrowth as well, that you can't, you can't have degrowth in one country, right? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you need to be able to sort of think about these things all at once, find an alternative to everything all at once. Um, so you're not just having a, a change of your personal relationship with yourself or your immediate neighbors, but uh, again, scaling that sort of intuition up to figure out what it means on an international scale. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and okay. Uh, the part of the premise for this episode was that the left hasn't the left in the United States and maybe in Canada too. I'm less familiar with it in Canada, so I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say, but at least in the United States it has been like not quick to pick up degrowth as an idea. Um, but it's interesting in all of the ways, especially in this like solidarity piece about how Catholic social teaching and Catholic social movements really thrive in this particular area. Like I was thinking um, if you, if you follow me on Twitter and if you don't, it's okay, please don't uh, feel compelled to but uh, I did write this piece for Sojourners not too long ago about uh, Canadian Jesuits International, which is a <laughs> organization of Canadian Jesuits, as you can imagine. It's a, but it is an international solidarity organization, right? That was specifically bringing in um, a Catholic priest from uh, from the Congo to talk about conflict minerals and in the production of like batteries for like you know quote unquote green technology or whatever. And all, I guess all I'm trying to say here is that like 
Catholic social movements have like they've been doing this right. They sort of have this like figured out. It's it's built into like the mission of so many of these organizations in ways that the um, the left in the United States at least is only like now kind of rediscovering. Like, not to say that the left in the United States has not done anything with international solidarity, because that's just not true. But, like, I think it's, like, slowly kind of rediscovering some of those, like, muscles. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of, like, DSA or something, right? They have an international um, organization that is, like, in the past few years starting to, like, become more active again, where it had been basically not active in the past. So that's great. But I guess I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, like, Catholic social movements have been, like, doing this for more than a minute. Yeah, I think that's also a kind of underrated piece of the Catholic Church that, like, it is the Catholic Church, right? (laughs) The universal church, for better and for worse. And that gives it this necessary global consciousness, even if it has, you know, remained and and still is a, a Eurocentric kind of institution. You're kind of forced into thinking about global issues in ways that, again, it's not like no other Christians do that or have to do that because there are lots of global communions. There's the World Council of Churches, all that kind of stuff. But there's something about Catholicism that compels that or like draws you into uh, a confrontation even (laughs) with Catholics in other parts of the world. Right. So you get all the people that we like to talk about on this show, liberation theologians, everybody else in the global south theologizing about their circumstances all that stuff is going to sort of find its way into the Catholicism of the global North one way or another. And since the, especially sixties, a lot of these Catholic civil society movements in the global North that were like conduits of information and, and ideas from the global South, I think they've like remained custodians of that tradition, even when imperialist organizing, anti-imperialist organizing has like been on the wane on the left. Uh, you get this sort of way that Catholics find to uh, like keep the keep the torch burning. You know, it's not like Catholics can create that movement themselves out of thin air. And there are other leftist organizations that have also kept it burning. You know, it's not just Catholics like there's always whatever a handful of people who are <laughs> going to protest the U.S. embassy in Toronto for Palestine or Cuba or whatever, like every month, you know, that stuff happens. But um, there's something about these Catholic movements that is it's like it it has the capacity to reach a normal person <laughs> in a way that like a rally outside a U.S. embassy hosted by, you know, some extremely fringe left group is just not going to have. And I think that is a, a huge advantage to Catholicism as well. It has this kind of reach into parish life, normal life, um, and it's able to draw people into that global solidarity paradigm in a unique way. Yeah, I think that makes sense, right? Like these ideas are sort of like structural to Catholic social thinking and um, <laughs> like you said, going to reach people in ways that whatever you're like cool communist cell probably just won't. <laughs> so that's something. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the last bit here, the economic logic. So I mentioned Catholic social teaching is anti-capitalist. It's not explicitly socialist, although I think it's uh, implicitly so in its in its own way. Um, but the, the way that Catholicism has developed its economics, I think is really interesting. And we're skipping a ton in this episode, leaving out a bunch. I mean, you know, I've been talking about Pope Paul VI, but like John Paul II and Benedict, even conservative as they were still had a lot to say about growth, critical things to say about it. Like they didn't deviate from Pope Paul VI on that. And I think now that you get to Pope Francis, you're seeing all that kind of come to a head as well. So I think for this piece on economic logic, maybe it's good to bookend the conversation with Gaudium at Space on the one hand, which is a Vatican II document, and then we'll talk about Laudato Si on the other side. So starting with the Gaudium at Space, so Vatican II, um, all these bishops got together in Rome, they talked about how the church should engage the world, and this is the document that's kind of the social one. Um, it is very important. You see it all the time in liberation theology as well. It, again, it kind of like opened a lot of doors that maybe hadn't been officially opened before. And in it, it says this, economic development must remain under humanity's determination and must not be left to the judgment of a few people or groups possessing too much economic power or of the political community alone or of certain more powerful nations. It is necessary, on the contrary, that at every level, the largest possible number of people and, when it's a question of international relations, all nations have an active share in directing that development. There's need as well of the, co- of the coordination and fitting and harmonious combination of the spontaneous efforts of individuals 
and of free groups with the undertaking of public authorities. Growth is not to be left solely to a kind of mechanical course of economic activity of individuals, nor to the authority of the government. For this reason, doctrines which obstruct the necessary reforms under the guise of a false liberty, and those which subordinate the basic rights of individual persons and groups to the collective organization of production, must be shown to be erroneous. Some strong words. Very strong words. And you can see, especially at the end there, them trying to cut this different path between capitalism and the communist bloc, right? There's the the guise of false liberty on the capitalist side, and then there's what they call the subordination of individuals to uh, to the collective. Um, so I think there's lots to say about that, but maybe for a different podcast. <laughs> the interesting thing here is that already in Gaudiamet Space, you're getting this critique of growth, right? Uh, this recognition that growth is the thing that's driving our society. Um, there were lots of like priests getting sociology degrees <laughs> at this time and like really thinking through international development and, and growth that served as experts, consultants on a document like this. Uh, so what you're really getting here, I think, is that that opening of a conversation about Catholic economics that starts by really questioning uh, growth. Cool. That's the opening of the conversation. Let's fast forward a bunch of years to... I mean, not the close of the conversation. <laughs> Certainly another point in the conversation, though. <laughs> okay, this is from the Dado C from Pope Francis. You know and you love him in 2015. Um, also talking about economic growth. This is a short piece, though, so just chill out for a minute. <laughs> economic growth, for its part, tends to produce predictable reactions and a certain standardization with the aim of simplifying procedures and reducing costs. This suggests the need for an economic ecology capable of appealing to a broader vision of reality. So again, um, more shade thrown upon growth um, from Francis. But you can see a, a similar type of logic, right, between these two, um, that we should you know, call that type of growth into question um, and, uh, and, and maybe like, you know, expose it for what it is, like a, a weird governing logic of society, but maybe one that's not necessary. Yeah, exactly. And just to get the other great Pope Francis quote in Laudato Si on the table here so we can talk it through. Um, there's a bunch of places in this encyclical where Pope Francis talks about growth, by the way. We're just pulling out a few, I guess. But the big degrowth section is 193, where Pope Francis says, In any event, if in some cases sustainable development were to involve new forms of growth, then in other cases, given the insatiable and irresponsible growth produced over many decades, we need also to think of containing growth by setting some reasonable limits and even retracing our steps before it's too late. We now we know how unsustainable is the behavior of those who constantly consume and destroy, while others are not yet able to live in a way worthy of their human dignity. That's why the time has come to accept decreased growth. I would mm, say degrowth even. Interesting. <laughs> in some parts of the world, in order to provide resources for other places to experience healthy growth. Benedict XVI has said that technologically advanced societies must be prepared to encourage more sober lifestyles while reducing their energy consumption and improving its efficiency. Uh, you heard it here for first, folks. Pope Francis says you've got to accept decreased growth in some parts of the world, and uh, I think we just got to say it. Catholic social teaching, it's a degrowth tradition now, and great job, Pope Francis. He did it. <laughs> he figured it out. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I mean, I think also emphasizing here, too, that there is, like, some texture to this, that degrowth in the context of what Pope Francis is talking about, at least, means, you know, degrowth in some areas and not degrowth in other areas. Mm -hmm. um, there's this really interesting uh, talk that Leonardo Boff gave via Skype to, that was fun <laughs> that I sat in on. And uh, I got to ask a question at the end in the chat, which was a highlight of my life for sure. And I asked Leonardo Boff what he thinks about degrowth because, you know, he was talking, you know, largely about climate change and it was, it was cool, but he didn't ever talk about degrowth. And he said, uh, yeah, degrowth for the global north, that's fine. Uh, but different growth for the global south is, mm -hmm. is kind of the, the point, right? That uh, you, don't, you, you don't want the global south to mirror the growth of the global north. And also it's a, it would be bad and probably impossible, right? You you just need more, <laughs> more earth, more planets. Yeah. A lot more dirt to dig up. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, but I think that's, I guess to me, what's interesting is that like what you see here in, in across all of these encyclicals, right, is a type of moral thinking that's trying to cultivate a sense of judgment about the world. And it's not giving like the 
full answer of like well, you know this this particular type of like uh, anti-capitalist or socialist economy that like limits growth in x y and z ways but i mean like they're all all of these people are the popes and not <laughs> you know political leaders in in the discrete sense or something but you can see how in each one of these it does make sense to start talking about like you know you you read the, you read these sentences that we um we need technologically advanced societies uh, to be prepared to encourage more sober lifestyles so you have to be prepared to like stop driving so much or like yeah. stop focusing on um you know the the destruction of uh habitats of like apex predators or, or something like it, it just makes sense that like the next sentence would then be you have to do this other thing <laughs> but uh, of course they don't get there but you can see how they map onto one another pretty easily yeah, I always think, too, that this is a good pathway to think about something like liberation theology in the 21st century. So the way that liberation theology developed in the 20th century was in a critical dialogue with development discourse and also Catholic social teaching, trying to deepen it, expand it, not um, destroy it, as a lot of people think, and even as the Vatican sometimes thought, but trying to think through its contradictions, discover where it can be you know, pressed or pushed, and I think that's significant. What Pope Francis is doing here strikes me as basically the same thing, right? He's he's really opening a, a conversation or the door to a conversation around degrowth. And uh, if we want to think through how to carry through even those basic impulses of liberation theology into the 21st century, right? Like a preferential option for the poor, a way of thinking through how to restructure society so that it's not just development, but a matter of liberation and so on then that's really going to have to take into account things like degrowth. Like, it's a, it's an interesting discourse happening on the left that naturally uh, lends itself to Catholic social teaching and vice versa. So I feel like, you know, whatever the deficiencies one might find in both of those, like, we might as well draw them closer together. <laughs> they can only help each other out to, to spy each other's contradictions that way, maybe. <laughs> that's true. That's dialectical thinking right there. <laughs> Cool. Okay, so we have all these pieces. Um, Catholic social teaching gives us a, a moral framework, uh, an impetus towards solidarity, and a particular economic logic that, like, if you gave it one more good push, you would fall straight down the hill into into like a degrowth paradigm. Uh, that uh, I mean is pretty socialist, if you ask me. But there, there's more. So in Laudato Si, Pope Francis kind of has, um, I, I guess, more like instructive moral character that we should perhaps think about and i i appreciate right since there is this like there is this piece of the of the puzzle here that is like looking for how you have to change yourself or like uh come to have new values pope francis kind of picks up some of that and says well you should actually just be like saint francis um not to be confused with pope francis right two different guys um so he says this saint francis helps us see that an integral ecology calls for an openness to categories which transcend the language of mathematics and biology and take us to the heart of what it is to be human. Just as happens when we fall in love with someone, whenever he would gaze at the sun, the moon, or the smallest animals, he burst into song, drawing all other creatures into his praise. He communed with all creation, even preaching to the flowers, inviting them to, to praise the Lord just as if they were endowed with reason. His response to the world around him was so much more than an intellectual appreciation or economic calculus, for to him, each and every creature was a sister united to him by bonds of affection. Um, I really like this St. Francis bit because figuring out how to like live in the world in, in spite of like, you know, the impending doom of climate change and like trying to like muster the strength to do something politically does take a type of moral strength and also like moral reformation of your brain to like, you know, get to a place where maybe that even seems possible or to start seeing the world in a different way so that you could actually, you know, do the types of activism or organizing that you would need to do to actually, you know, confront climate change in a, in a considerable way. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important too to uh, pull that piece out, right? That like, there is a big imagination in Catholicism in the Catholic tradition. That's what Pope Francis is pointing us to. We can draw on uh, a certain saintly vision in Pope Francis or in St. Francis, but that also gives us a, a kind of um, spiritual direction or like, you know, it, it encourages us to like find the resources in the Catholic tradition that can still make sense to us now that can push us forward now. 
And having that Franciscan vision would necessarily also maybe lead us to a, a degrowth paradigm. If you see like animals as your siblings or the planet as your sibling, then you should act in such a way that you stop violence from happening to them, right? <laughs> like you would to your, hopefully, <laughs> the siblings that you have in your life uh, or your neighbor or whatever, whatever else it might be. So, you know, it's, I think, again, bringing together that personal transformation piece and then thinking through how to structuralize that kind of thing, right? What would it mean to have like a structure of society and economic reality where economic growth isn't the key? Instead, trying to build that like siblinghood of all things that exist, that is the the thing, uh, the value on which you would build your economy. Like you'd have to really degrow the Funko Pop factories uh, <laughs> and you'd have to grow other things. You'd have to grow uh, conservation zones, green energy that isn't exploitative, et cetera. Right. So important to kind of just recognize how to structuralize those impulses as well. Yeah, totally. There's this quote that Dean and I, I think, talk about a lot amongst ourselves um, from this extremely niche, like kind of like media philosophy phenomenologist kind of guy named Willem Flusser. Um, if you've ever talked to Dean or I for more than 30 minutes, you're, you, we're going to talk about this guy in this <laughs> book that he wrote about squids. That's a whole other story altogether. But he has this like really interesting philosophy of nature that is um, not altogether disconnected from what we're talking about right now. But there is a piece in his writing where he's talking about the ways that like uh, like the Darwinian sort of approach to understanding nature and humanity is like fundamentally right wing because it sort of like makes a hierarchy of species that, you know, humans are at the top and, uh, you know, so on and so on. You, you know the drill. Uh, but he says that like if there was a left wing biology, it would be sort of the Franciscan one, the one that understands um, you know the flowers and the birds and all these all all these other great little little guys running around up there <laughs> as our as our siblings. I think there's something great about that, right? Mm -hmm. I guess what's interesting about that kind of observation and even bringing in Francis about like it's just like about how much of like capitalist ideology really does inform the way that we think about nature. Mm -hmm. And how completely stupid it is. Yeah. And like, you know, unnecessary, unnecessary at every level. Like, it just doesn't have to be yeah. that way. And we can make different assumptions if we wanted to. Yeah, I mean, the irony of capitalism and uh, the Christians we have running around right now is that, like, a lot of them reject Darwin and all of evolution when it comes to actual science. And then the only place they do accept it is in our economic systems that, like, destroy poor people, right? Oh, dang. Yeah, that's my big hot take for now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the the key is to, if you're going to be a creationist, just be one all the way through, right? <laughs> Have a more horizontal plane uh, where everybody's sort of, uh, yeah, uh, on that kind of sibling level. Um, that's going to mean that you can't uh, you can't have your Dave Ramsey envelopes. Um, you can't have your <laughs> Dave Ramsey property empire, right? Uh, that's not a way of, like, treating people or creation as a sibling. It's a way of being a, a, a Darwinian evolutionist when it comes to the economy that's very bad it is bad you gotta let the raccoons into your house <laughs> <laughs> if you're cold they're cold let them in <laughs> it's true you know it's such a wild thing though to think about be okay so this is a story i guess i was telling <laughs> dean this earlier but now i'll tell it on the podcast i went on a field trip with my son a, like a few months ago and uh near our house uh his class went to this place that's called like the oh it's called the endangered wolf center and it's it's cool because it's not like a zoo. It's like a, a by appointment only kind of situation where you can come to this place and very quietly look at the wolves as they like wander around their Pretty cool. <laughs> enclosures. It is super cool. I saw a lot of wolves and I don't think they really saw me. And that was great not to be perceived by a terrible, um, <laughs> a terrible creature. Um, but I guess what's interesting is that they're endangered for a reason. And they're endangered because like humans keep building more houses and like targets and whatever <laughs> walmarts uh in the places that they live so they can't hunt anymore and that is a big problem for the wolves i think i mean that's a problem morally right because uh you don't want to deprive the wolves of a place that they live that sucks if you think about it in that franciscan term that makes a lot of sense and if you think about it in the darwinian way it's like sorry wolves you just mm -hmm. get you got out <laughs> out maneuvered here should have been smarter should have been smarter should should have developed thumbs <laughs> idiot should have made wolf target <laughs> that's right I, I guess what's interesting though too but okay so there's that there's the moral aspect but then there's also like a, this really interesting environmental aspect too uh, uh, that's like i think more than moral but also moral uh, a structure a structural pit here too that like you know apex predators are really important because they sequester all kinds of 
of, of carbon, right? So it's like there's a type of mutuality between humans and wolves that you don't really think about unless you kind of think about the world in this more like Franciscan way. So maybe try that for a minute. <laughs> you dummies. <laughs> I'm trying it. I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, yep. I think that's all we have to say about it, Matt. Um, degrowth. <laughs> Catholic social teaching. Um, I think uh, it just makes sense to sort of bring them together, right? That's the that's the point of this episode. Remind me. what That's what we're talking about? That's it. We're, just trying, to make, we're trying to make the case. And we're, arguing, we're pleading it to you, the, <laughs> the judge of this podcast. <laughs> the least troubles of Christian leftism. Um, and do you think we've done it, Matt? Would you accept this case if I it would, was brought before you as a judge? Oh, absolutely. I would definitely write a, a case for the creator style book about this <laughs> this particular argument. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's way easier to prove this than like um anything else about theology yeah. about creation dinosaurs were alive <laughs> maybe uh, 200 years ago so there, you, trouble would have to say. <laughs> there you have it folks be on the lookout for matt's new book uh the case for degrowth uh about to hit evangelical <laughs> bookshelves in 2024 um it's gonna be a bestseller you can buy it for your nephew who is questioning his faith um, I think it's really going to put them back over the edge. I'm going to get on that Lee Strobel grift. There's going to be a book. There's going to be a movie. I'm going to have all kinds of speaking engagements about this one particular thing. Yeah, turning uh, weird nonfiction books into movies. I mean, Lee Strobel did it. Andreas Malm did it. Uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It's a film. So uh, I, I feel like you've got a lot of, um, you know, the Matt Bernico expanded universe can really begin with this book. Can we make this the number one culture war issue? I think that would be really funny. <laughs> Degrowth? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, but like wolves specifically. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> what are you guys doing to wolves out there? I think that sounds good. Um, so there you go. Save the wolves. Do degrowth. Um, go to mass or church or whatever it is you or don't. I don't know. Do whatever you want. But uh... but like think about the St. Francis stuff. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're not a particular religious yeah. person, I think there's a, a good orientation in there to think about ecology. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. Uh, you can subscribe to us there for $2 or more, and you can get access to a great Behind the Paywall podcast we do once a month called The Walk-In, and it's very silly and goofy, and uh, you also get access to our Discord community, also very silly and goofy. Uh, our music is by Amari Armstrong, and the outro is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I would else 